Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 126 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. Guys, um, it finally happened. I have, uh, I talked to my hero, my, like, number one guy, and, uh, you're about to hear it. Um, so it's, it feels weird doing any sort of introduction for this man, but, um, my guest on this episode is Geezer Butler, the bassist and one of the founding members of Black Sabbath. He's the reason I play bass, uh, ultimately the reason I play music, because I heard the intro basically leads into NIB, and NIB is my favorite song of all time. He's about to release his autobiography, Into the Void from Birth to Black Sabbath and Beyond, on June 6th. Uh, he came on the show, we talked about that book a lot, and we talked about a lot of other stuff, just because, I mean you have the man on your show, you've got to take advantage of the opportunity. So I asked him just kind of any thought that popped in my head and he, he was game for all of them. Um, I think I'm on the hook for $50,000 to him now, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So um, again, that book is Into the Void from Birth to Black Sabbath and Beyond. It'll be out on June 6th. Uh, you can pick up a copy everywhere you find books. It's in all your online retailers, big box and otherwise. I pre-ordered my copy from the UK because I wanted a signed copy, and uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And I've read the book. It's a wonderful journey through this man's career. If you've read anything about Black Sabbath, it's great to hear his take on a lot of the stories that you may have heard, a lot of new stories in there as well, some revelations and stuff, you know, classic musician autobiography sort of tale. If you want to keep up with what Geezer Butler is up to these days, he's on Instagram and Twitter at Geezer Butler, a lot of stuff with cats, family, football. And then geezerbutler.com is his website. So uh, I will stop rambling because I do a lot of that in this interview. And um, yeah, here he is. As uh, Ozzy Osbourne has said on many a live album, Mr. Geezer Butler. Hello. Hello. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Good. Where in the world are you at these days? Because I know you've got a couple homes and don't want to interrupt. I'm in Henderson, Nevada at the moment. Oh, you still have the Vegas place. Wonderful. I listened to your uh, interview on Eddie Trunk and uh, you were talking about that. And in the book, you mentioned Utah and uh, just getting out of uh, California. How, yeah. has, how has the, uh, the cohabitating in Nevada and uh, Utah been? It's good. I, I like them both equally. And I, are you someone who's a fan of warm weather? Because you seem consistent with your, at least with your recent places. Well, Henderson in Nevada gets too hot in the July and August. So we go to Utah up in the mountains, which, which is around 80 degrees in the summer. Oh, sure. Um, so we spend like an equal amount of time here and in Utah. We always go to Utah for Christmas um and new year and and in the summer i mean it sounds very nice i imagine you're getting some snow so you get the whole christmas vibe going there yeah absolutely i think it's been the most snow since 1982 this year i'm in northern california and we had probably our wettest you know winter and many as long as i've been here so i imagine you got some of that runoff as well 
Yeah, um, my son and grandkids live in Pasadena in Cal- California. Oh, yeah. And they, they said it's like the rain was torrential in, I think it was in January and February or something. I read something that like our drought's completely undone now, which seems extreme, but maybe, I don't know. I'm not a, a water scientist, I guess. Yes, it's like the same here. The uh, Lake Mead has suddenly got quite full again. Uh, we've got Tahoe kind of nearby where I'm at, and, uh, you know, it was getting kind of dire there. So glad to see some water levels and actually enjoy some of the lake stuff again. Yeah, it's good. Great. Uh, I mean, I could talk lakes and whatnot with you all day, but uh, I feel like the people who helped set this up for me would rather we chat about your book a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I imagine by the time all this is done, you'll probably be sick of telling your own stories and all this kind of stuff. So I'll I'll try my best to not be boring, but... You know, we got to cross on the same bridges again. Okay. Um, so the book, I was able to get a, a pre-reader of it, and I enjoyed the hell of it. I loved hearing your angle on some of these stories because I've read Ozzy's book, I've read Tony's book, and you know, just I've been engulfed in the whole lore of the band. Um, but how has revisiting some of these stories uh, taught you about that time or about yourself that may have surprised you? Because when you see them laid out in front of you, maybe there's a new perspective. Um, I'm, I'm just really glad that the whole thing came together. It's, to me, it's like when you look back at it, it's, it's almost miraculous that the four of us were all from the same, literally a couple of streets away from each other, and that we all, we're all into the same music. It just seems miraculous to me that it all ha- worked out that way. And one thing that that kept coming up your book that I thought was really funny was the fact that Ozzy was just always kind of around. Uh, so he was like your Forrest Gump. Um, was there anybody else that you kind of ran into the same degree that you maybe didn't, you know, obviously didn't spend 50 years with who was just as common? Well, outside the band or in the band? Outside the band, I guess, like uh, any sort of friends, hangers on, that kind of thing, I guess. No, not really, because I've been... I've been living in too many different places. Sure. Uh, I could, you know, two, several places in England. I've, I've moved to away from friends and stuff, and then several places in the U.S. that I've lived in. Uh, it was said that the book was intended to be more of a, a, a diary for your grandkids. And I know your granddaughter recently released some music and uh, seems poised to have her own music career. Uh, was part of this serving as a, a warning to the dark side of the industry? Because you had your ups and downs with management and royalties and all that stuff that you go into. No, it, it was just really to tell her because I always regretted not asking me my parents much more than I did. I just took them for granted you know it was like there's mom and there's dad and they haven't really had any other lives and i just wanted to have a kind of history of my life so the grandkids can get to know me a lot better and and their kids and stuff uh were your were your parents a fan of black sabbath or any of your music they were when the first album sold well <laughs> <laughs> before that but before that they used to tell me to go and get a proper job yeah get a haircut and all that, all that classic stuff. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's like when you come from that kind of a background, there's no way they're going to think you're going to be successful. Oh, sure. And uh, growing up where you did, it seemed an, even more impossible. But, uh, I mean, you guys did it, and you have bridges and benches and what to uh, to prove it, which is pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. 
got it, you know, that we did all that. Um, I, I caught from your book that you are a big reader yourself. And um, I also noticed that there's no like co-writer as is standard with a memoir or an autobiography. Was your love of books part of what made you want to do this yourself? Yeah, I wanted it to be because I've read, you know, lots of other books and they just don't sound like the people that they're supposed to sound like that's supposed to have written them. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted it to a book that sounded like me. It absolutely uh, in the writing. I would say talk to you right now. It absolutely does. Um, and so I, your voice did definitely carry through and, uh, did you try doing something with a ghostwriter and just didn't work or were you just set on doing it yourself from jump? I had somebody that uh, sort of went through all the archives through the seventies and eighties, but you know, I couldn't remember half the things where I was or what gigs were there, what gigs we did and where we were in a particular time. So he helped me with all that. It's, you know, he went through what gigs we did and how long the tours were when the albums were released. Oh, sure. But that's it. But um, I just sent in several manuscripts of my stuff. And the final manuscript I sent in, it was about, oh, God, probably about 500 pages. And that was, like, edited down to 300 pages, as in the book. Sure. And you mentioned on the, also on the Eddie Trunk thing I mentioned earlier that uh, there were other stories that you thought of after you turned in the manuscript. Did those make the final cut, or are those going to make like a a special pre or special paper edition, paperback edition? I'm not sure how that works because I've already, you know, like I said, I I keep thinking of things that should be in the book, and it's it's too late now. So I don't know how that works if I can do an updated version when the paperback comes out. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask the publisher. It would doing a, another book interest you, or do you feel like you don't have enough for another book? Um, it depends if I'm going to get sued or not. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to leave out so much stuff. Um, you know, you, they were saying, oh, you can't say that, you can't say that. How can you prove that and all that kind of thing. So, uh, no, I think, uh, I don't think there would be enough you should for do, another one. You should do the special edition 100 years after you've been gone, Mark Twain style thing, without where no one could be mad at you anymore. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I do one for me if I'm kick the bucket. Uh, I mentioned that you're a big reader, as you did you in your book. How do you like to read? Do you put on music? Are you silent? Uh, do oh, you no. eat, eat snacks has or anything? Be, Pardon? That's deadly silence. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't have anything to distract me. Uh, how do you organize your books? Because you mentioned you had a large library. Oh, they're all over the place, especially since we moved from California. There's like boxes and boxes of books up in Utah, boxes and boxes in the garage here. So I've yet to, I haven't had time to go through everything yet. Are you more of a fiction or nonfiction person? Fiction, definitely. Okay. Who's, who's your favorite author? What's like a book that you think everyone should read? Um, I like Ian, Ian Rankin. I always uh, read his books. Um, I like John Banville. Um, I've just read a really good book uh, called uh, Close to Home by Michael McGee. Uh, just different things, but mainly crime. Oh, you're a crime person. Do you dip into like true crime podcasting or Dateliner and that kind of stuff as well? Uh, no, not a lot, no. Uh, Praro books, perhaps? I do audio books. Okay. Listen, listen to them on the... It's a long journey from... Uh, uh, 
Henderson to uh, Park City, Nevada. It's about a seven-hour journey, so I always listen to an audio book on the journey. Uh, are there any books that you own multiple copies of, and why? Um, <clears throat> not knowingly. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I, sometimes I forget I've got one and <laughs> and order another one the same. So uh, no. My my wife is a big book collector, and she has I think five versions of Frankenstein and a few of The Hobbit. And she actually has a copy of The Hobbit in Russian because it has illustrations and they're beautiful illustrations. But, you know, it's 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 become a picture book because she doesn't speak Russian. Yeah, I think I was the one thing I do collect is uh, Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens Christmas Carol. OK, um, all the different versions that come out every year. So that's that's probably the only one that I are. You you, know. Are you a fan of the uh, the film adaptations of that story or are you just took the books? Uh, I love the 1950s one with Alistair Sim. You're not big on the Muppet one? <laughs> I probably was at the time. Okay. Look, I'm a big fan of the Muppets. I've seen seen a performance, a strong way to say this, but I've seen the Electric Mayhem twice, and both times was a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Uh, one thing that stood out in your book that you come to a lot, and it's admirable because, you know, they're still kind of with heavy music, the um the desire to make it machismo and very big and manly but you talk about your depression and being aware of, of it early on and you talk about how much music and being in a band helped with that but you know since sabbath you've recently more more recently had dayland ritual and that stopped so how have you been with all that you know in your downtime since i don't know if you would call it retirement but at least not being in a band well with, with depression and stuff or yeah. just yeah, has, has the has the book helped you with your depression? Like, are you somebody that needs to keep busy? I haven't really been depressed since uh, I was properly diagnosed in nineteen, I think, nineteen ninety eight or something like that, when I had the breakdown. And I went to a proper doctor that understood exactly what I was going through. Put me on Prozac for six weeks, um, and I just been on like different kinds of antidepressants since then, but uh, I hardly take any now. So it's, I think that's all behind me. Oh, that's good. No, that's good to hear yeah. that you're, that you're doing well then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you about, that's kind of maybe a potentially silly thing, but uh, you mentioned having some pre-show rituals when you would perform, you would do yoga, which seems pretty standard to be, you know, stretched out and limber for when you're about to perform. But you also yeah. said there's a story when you were on a frantic search to chew gum. How, where did this ritual of yours come about? I've no idea. It's just different things that you get into as you know, as you go along. And um, I just used to do it just to keep me uh, sort of my mouth um, hydrated with chewing gum. You know, you can't go on with a bottle of water as you, as you're walking on. So chewing gum helped to hydrate me while I was going on. Okay. Eventually it became a habit. So I couldn't go on stage without chewing gum. Did you have a specific flavor or just any gum? Um, just anything. Usually Wrigley's. Okay. This book brought to you by Wrigley's. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I, would you mind if I ask you about some more bass related stuff? Cause I'm a bassist myself. Yeah. Um, around the time when you switched from guitar or, you know, your, you turned your rhythm guitar into a bass of sorts was around the time when, uh, Larry Graham from Sly and the Family Stone and like disco and funk really started picking up. 
which uh, popularized slap bass. Is this a technique that you ever tried using yourself? I did what thumb bass, that kind of thing. Like a Les Claypool Primus sort of thing, I guess. To... Yeah, I tried it, but I'm not very good at it. Yeah, there was a story about Bob Ezrin uh, mentioning to do some atypical techniques for you on one of the albums. Was that what it, uh, you were referring to? No, it's more like a like the octave uh, disco kind of thing. Like, oh yeah, do do that kind of thing. Sure. Um, he was trying to commercialize the band. And I was like, do my usual bass thing. And he was saying, well, why don't you do it like a disco thing? And I'm, what? <laughs> were you what on the, the were you on the disco sucks side of things? Pardon? Were you on the disco sucks side of things? Back then, yeah. Yeah. Have you come around to it at all? I have, yeah. It's really strange because some of the things that I hated in the seventies or pretended to hate. Now I'll like listen to it on my playlist, like the Bee Gees. Oh, that's, and that's fascinating. Diana Ross and stuff like that. I, I feel like playing music with my family really, well, not with my family, but because of my family, really uh, influenced what I consider to be no longer um, guilty pleasures. Because my mom raised me on 70s and 80s disco and pop and funk and stuff. And maybe in the last decade, I've really learned to embrace it. And I, I definitely had the thing where I was pretending I didn't secretly like it just to, I don't know, be cool or something. So that was even going on when it was presence and all that stuff for you. Plus, a lot of it is nostalgia. It reminds you of a certain time. True. Even if even if you didn't like the music back then, you, you can hear certain songs. that you've, You probably drove you nuts on the radio back in the 70s. And now it's like the nostalgia thing. You remember that particular time. Now, does that make you ever want to make that sort of music by yourself? Or is that just like not your deal at all? No, it's just stuff that I listen to when I'm usually when I'm driving because I don't really listen to music when I'm at home. Um, I was surprised to see some bands get a, a shout out in the book like Mastodon. Are these bands that you learned about when you were doing Ozfests over the years and that kind of thing? Uh, some of it. Um... Mastodon, we went to some kind of um, awards thing in Los Angeles, and Mastodon were there. And I, I, I like what they were doing, so sort of, you know, downloaded their albums. Um, bands like Royal Blood, I picked up, I found those myself without uh, just like listening through iTunes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Royal Blood's really cool. That basis is really cool. It does some very interesting stuff with effects and all that. Yeah, it's one of those things where I've tried myself years ago and thought, nah, nobody will ever get into this. And then <laughs> he does it, but he does it really well and uh, makes a whole thing of it. Yeah, I my first pedal I got was a Digitech Synthwah because I wanted to do the sound at the beginning of NIB, not realizing it's a standard wah pedal. So I got the completely wrong thing. And I still have that Synthwah, and I try to force it everywhere where it doesn't belong because I, <laughs> I've had it for... God, 20 years now, but I, I have to use it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I noticed your setup uh, was basically like kind of a wah sort of thing. Um, never got into like this more synthy sounds? No, not really. Didn't really go with uh, Sabbath. Sure. Uh, I did have this incredible Yamaha um, pedal board that I used on, uh, I think, the beginning of the writ and... 
on a later album. Oh, what was it now? Sign of the Southern Cross. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the beginning of that. And um, it's this great pedal board that I picked up in Japan. It was made by Yamaha, but it was a prototype and they never produced it. And uh, so I used that for a lot of effects on just on al- albums because I didn't want to take it on the road in case it got stolen or broken or whatever. It sounds like you have the unicorn of this pedal and you don't want to want to lose it that way. No, that's right. Uh, you mentioned in your book and also I think in the Eddie Trunk thing that you have every bass except for one that you've ever owned. Uh, can I have one? <laughs> I don't know if this has ever worked, but I'm trying. Shooting my shot, you know? <laughs> Send me 50 grand. Oh, okay. All right. I'll see what I can scratch up. Uh, more more of an actual question. Um, a few years back, uh, the GZR, Geezer albums were all reissued and remastered and whatnot. Did this make you want to step back into some form of that band again? Um, no, nah, because it's sort of gone in the past. Um, it would have been nice to... Uh, to go out, you know, go out and play or get together and stuff, but um, that's too much, too much work. Yeah, you generally seem like you're over the the road life and playing live regularly anyway. So, yeah, I'm a I'm a realist. But like, are you done? I know you've also said that you record and write some stuff at home. Are there geezer solo albums on the horizon? Well, I've got probably got enough for about ten solo albums, but you know, just getting around to uh, figuring it all out and if I if it can be bothered to do it. Oh, uh, something just occurred to me. Are you involved at all with the, the ballet thing that's happening? No, no. No, okay. I did, I, I did suggest a ballet right back in the 1970s when um, there was like the Who were doing Tommy rock operas and all that kind of thing. And I said to Tony, it'd be great to do a Black Sabbath ballet or something. And it must have stuck in his head because he's never doing it. What did you imagine it would be back then? Because I imagine you had a shoestring budget, but, you know, the world's his oyster now. I've no idea what it would turn out like. Sure. I just imagined every, the ballerinas dressed in black rather than white. <laughs> just a, a black swan sort of situation, but with Iron Man underneath about, or something? That's about as far as it went with me. Uh, it's probably hard to put yourself back in this place, but, like, when Ozzy was first replaced with Dio playing Black Sabbath songs or even, you know, long past, whether you're doing a guest spot with, uh, you know, Metallica or other people are filling in. Was it ever strange to look over and see, you know, not the original guys playing those songs? Um, it was at first with when Dio came in because he, like Ozzy was, would be running all over the stage and getting clapping and getting everybody up. And Ronnie was much more serious, more into his, uh, putting his uh, own personality over kind of thing. And even like more recently with uh, Deadland Ritual and stuff, playing those songs, did it feel like you were doing a cover at that point or did it still feel, did you still feel ownership over the Sabbath songs you guys are doing? Cover band. (laughs) (laughs) Running me, the the original. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that that didn't last very long, the Deadland Ritual sort of did it and wasn't really for me. Yeah, I think you played around here and I had to miss it because of work stuff. So I did not get my chance there. But, uh, you know, I've seen you a few times and big fan. Um, so I, I kind of want to start winding down because I realize we're in a bit of a, a time crunch. But um, earlier this year, you turned some heads online because you attended a Taylor Swift show. Are, are you a Swifty yourself? 
I wasn't before I saw the show because it's the most incredible show I've ever seen in my life. Hell yeah. I mean, technology is just unbelievable. But I've got I've I've got four grandkids here, and um, you know who can you take the grand go with the with your grandkids to see these days? It's like it's the only uh, she's one of the few people that that's massive, but is. Uh, suitable for all ages kind of thing. So it's great. Um, and I like that you were very upfront about it because clearly you've gotten over the whole guilty pleasure thing that you had when you were younger. And um, yeah, I, I hear great things about her show. I just haven't haven't gone yet. Are you a, are you a Carly Rae Jepsen fan? Not particularly. Why? Uh, I would say her shows are, they're not on the same, you know, arena stadium level, but they're just as fun. Uh, I became a fan of hers after seeing her live at a festival and uh yeah i, I think he, uh grandkids will probably enjoy her if they don't already yeah i mean they they love the beatles as well funnily enough huh? but uh the, the taylor swift thing is just like on, on, on a different level to anything i've ever seen i mean it, it must have cost tens of millions to put the stage in on sure um a million years ago, I tweeted that the number one goal of all my music journalism and my podcasting stuff was to talk to you about cats. Um, when did you first become a cat person? I grew up with cats. Um, there was Minnie and Chick were my first cats from the from as far back as I can remember. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always had cats in my life. And, and dogs. And dogs. What sort of uh, what sort of dogs do you do? You currently have dogs. Yeah, we did add five of them, but unfortunately, three of them have recently passed away because they're all they're really getting old now. But I've still got three cats. Got three cats and two dogs. Uh, on Instagram, you shared one uh, a photo of Biz, I believe was the name of the cat, helping you sign some books. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> were the others as helpful? Can we expect cat hairs in our signed copies? No, Wiz Wiz couldn't give a toss and. Uh, Tink, Tink is too busy uh, fighting the dog. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, that'll actually do it for my questions. Uh, I read the book. I've pre-ordered it myself, even though I read it. And it's, I think it's a lot of fun. I think uh, fans of yours are going to you know, learn a lot. Um, and I really just you know, want to thank you for everything that you've done musically and stuff like that. Just to peel away the professional guys that I'm putting on to do this interview and just thank you as a fan. Because uh, oh, otherwise I wouldn't be able to. And you know, um, if you ever go out there on doing anything again, I'll absolutely be there. And thank you for coming on my show and you know sharing your story via the book and this music. Oh, great! Thanks, Daniel. And uh, give all your cats a nice pat on the head for me, and I will do the same. Oh, by the way, one of my cats uh, is named Geezer, so I also <laughs> feel like I should bring that up. So there's that. Great. Alrighty. Uh, thank you, sir. You have a good rest of your day. Okay. You too. Bye, Daniel. Bye. Bye, Mr. Miller. So yeah, that was my chat with Geezer Butler, my ultimate white whale for Far Beyond Metal. Part of me feels like that should be the end of the show, but we will be back with more episodes here shortly. 
Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. If you are a fan of the show and you want to find more of it, you can head over to farbandmetalpodcast.com. There, if you're in a band, you can hit me up to be on the show. You can find old episodes, store link, friends of the show, and a lot more. And as always, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Centrometer Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.